Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Well, of course, our hearts are heavy this morning for Don and Mary, for Frank and Angela and the boys. I was thinking to myself that um, as we were singing some of the songs, it's interesting how as we go through life, you know, we do lose loved ones. And you'll be going along and then you'll hear a song or you smell a certain smell or you be in a certain place and it reminds you of someone. I, whenever I hear Travis Tritt sing where corn don't grow, I think of my brother. He loved that song. And so, let's take a moment, let's say a word of prayer, and then we'll have a lesson. Our Almighty Father in heaven, we, we humbly approach thy throne of grace and with thanksgiving in our hearts for your loving kindness, for your mercy and grace especially as it is seen in your son, Jesus Christ, how he lived his life, how Jesus wept, how he looked with compassion at people, and how he loved us so much that he was willing to give his life for us, and how you love us so much that you were willing to send your son down to die upon the cross of Calvary so that people could have hope, so that people could have life and people could have every spiritual blessing that you offer. And we know that, that the spiritual blessings that you offer are only found in Jesus Christ. So we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful that you care so much for us, that you see us as we're grieving and going through difficult times, that, that you were there and that you were there for us and that you were there to put your comforting and helping hand upon our lives. We know that as we live here upon this earth, that this world is not perfect. In fact, this world was, was cursed as man had sinned and rejected you. And the consequences have been felt throughout the generations. We know that your kindness leads people to repentance. We pray this morning that you would be with Don and Mary that you would be with Frank and Angela, with Dustin and Tyler, that you would comfort them and help them through the loss that they have suffered. Help them to look back in fondness at the wonderful memories that they have. And help them live their lives in trust and faith in you. That their loved ones could be in no better place than in your hands. We ask, Lord, that each of us would stay focused upon you and on your son. We're so thankful for the great example that both of these families have provided for us as they go through adversity to stay focused on your son Jesus and to continue to follow after you, 
recognizing that you have given us the hope that one day we will be able to be in your presence forever and reunited with some of our loved ones. We pray that you go with us through this day forward. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I got a few quotes for you this morning. It's quotes on attitude. The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. William James. Most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Abraham Lincoln. Jordan asked me the other day, who's your favorite president? Abraham Lincoln. Well, beside Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. A happy person is not a person in a certain set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. Hugh Downs. Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. As a junior in high school, I was devastated when I was cut from the top volleyball team and sent to the second team. I felt disappointed, embarrassed, and dejected. And that evening, I spoke with a friend who passed on these words of wisdom. It's not how far you fall, but how high you bounce back that matters. I wrote the quote on my mirror and committed to doing my best for the new team instead of sulking over my personal loss. Instead of continuing to fall and spiral, I committed to bounce back. What I learned that day is that what happens to me in life doesn't count as much as how I react to those things. I had a choice that day that I was cut from the team. I could wallow in misery and quit the team, or I could choose to fight through my circumstances and work hard to improve. Each day, choices like these present themselves. When people are cruel, I can choose to accept their apology or allow my bitterness to grow. When I am treated unfairly, I can vengefully plot a way to get even, or I can seek the Lord's wisdom and demonstrate patience as as He shows me what to do. When I'm fired from a job, I can learn from why things did not work or I can blame everyone else around me for my misfortune and never learn, never grow, and never change. When I am congratulated for a job well done, I can either pat myself on the back or thank the Lord for providing me with the skills to succeed. Life throws different circumstances our way every day some good and some bad. Wherever you are in your life, it is important to remember that people are watching and looking to see how you are living your life. You will long be remembered, not only for what happened to you in your life, but for how you handled life's circumstances. When those circumstances cause you to fall, I challenge you to bounce back.
two questions. Well, multiple questions, but they listed them as two. The writer says, think about a time in your life when you've reacted well to a disappointing circumstance and another time when you reacted poorly. Why do you think you reacted the way you did in those circumstances? Two, why are our reactions as Christians so important? And how can you help make sure you are someone who bounces back? You know, I think you're all familiar with the story of when I was younger. Our neighbor decided to throw a brick at me, and he missed. And my reaction was to pick the brick back up and throw it at him, and I hit him. Probably not the best reaction. I think all of us have had reactions that have been good sometimes, but then bad. So today, I simply want to go through a few things and talk about how to deal with life. Life, there are times that life is great, right? We can count our blessings. We think things, you know, things are going well. And then there's days that life is difficult. And how do we deal with that? And so all of us have or will have times when life deals us a heavy blow. You know, it's kind of like riding a motorcycle. You know, I, I used to have a motorcycle. In fact, I had two. And there was a saying that said that there's two types of riders. Those that have fallen or dumped their bike and those that will. And that's true. So we all get knocked down. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about how do we deal with those times. And I believe that God's Word, of course, gives us the answers of how we can deal with the struggles and the heartaches and the knockdowns that we go through in this life. And we're going to talk about four different points this morning. And I'm going to give those four points to you, and then we'll kind of delve into them a little bit. But one is to be humble. Two is to, to walk in the light. Three is to be self-controlled, and four is to be patient. So we start and look at 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, in verses 6 through 10. The writer there says, Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." 
Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory, eternal glory in Jesus Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's look just at a few things that the Apostle Peter points out to us. And he starts with this. One of the things that happens in our lives, especially as we go through difficult times, is there is a temptation for us to have all our focus on what has taken place in our lives. And I say that because what happens is our focus on God diminishes and our focus is strictly on the problem or the event or the knockdown that has taken place. And pride will rear its ugly head and Satan will use that as a method to tempt us to be discouraged, to have a desire to give up and not go on, and many times to wallow in what has hit us in life. So the first point in our life is this, as we are dealing with the things, is we need to remember that we are to be individuals that walk in humility. Because God, it says, is going to exalt us in due time. So one of the things that we are to do, and we talked about this on Wednesday night's class, when we looked at Nehemiah, one of the things that he did, as he looked out and he had seen that the, the uh, walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and he, you know what he did? He sat down and he wept. And you know, there are times that that's exactly what we do. We are to sit down and mourn. And I believe, and one of the things I said in the class was, God has given us the grieving process so that we are able to work through and come out stronger on the other end. So one of the things he points out as we looked at Nehemiah, he saw the facts. He did not try and escape the facts. He did not try to bury his head in the sand. He faced reality. So we need to face reality. And then it says, after he had mourned and wept, that he prayed. And that's what we see here in Peter when he says, cast all your anxieties on God. So what we need to do as we face life and as we face anxieties is we need to turn that over to God. We need to pray to God and cast our burdens and cast our anxieties on Him. You know, an anxiety is a distress or uneasiness of mind. You know, I told you this past week, of course, our bank accounts were all hacked. And how that happened, I don't know. But I did talk, I told Frank this morning, I talked to a lady that... Uh, is a fraud specialist, and she has 35 years experience in fraud. And as I explained her story, my story to her, our story to her, she said, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's an inside job. Someone at the bank is doing that. 
and I have to say, you know, when I, when I went in there and I clicked on the button because I checked the bank account every day and I look and see and I saw this charge for 18 cents. I thought, well, what was that? So I went through the whole nine yards. We closed our accounts. We set up a new account. You know, okay, we got it all taken care of. The new account has a $1.38 charge on it. And I'm going to tell you what, I was mad. I thought, how dare these people do this? This is, this is ridiculous. You know what I did? I paced the floor for a little while. No one else is in the house. I'm pacing the floor. What am I going to do? Because you get thrown for a loop. And, and isn't that what life does? It throws us for a loop. And so, you know, it throws you off your equilibrium. But then I thought, you know what? Count your blessings. Let's, let's cast our cares, anxieties, on the Lord. Let's work through this. Let's get it done. And we have. Hopefully no, no one's following Angela or I around or has some direct line into, into, into the phones or the computers. But the fact of the matter is, we know that this world has a lot of things that transpire. And we can have distress or uneasiness of mind. And he says... When you have that, cast those anxieties on God, right? And when we have anxieties, what happens is it draws our mind in different directions. As I said, it pulls our focus off of where it needs to be. So cast your cares on God. Well, why do that? And I love the next statement. Because God cares for you. Because God, we were talking in class Wednesday night about how someone had asked, where's God at? Remember the two individuals Brother French talked about? Both of them had went through excruciating problems and pain and heartache. And one had given up on the Lord. And the other looked at all the blessings that they had from God. So, we have to determine what we are going to do in our lives and to recognize that God does truly care for us. And the question was asked, where's God? And the answer was, God's where you left him. Think about that. Well, one of the things it points out as we walk in humility, as we humble ourselves, one of the other things he talks about is to be sober-minded. you know what sober-minded means here? To be calm and collected in spirit. Now, what's one of the most difficult things to do when you're facing storms? To be calm. You know, it's like we talked about the disciples with Jesus. They were on that rough sea. <coughs> rough sea. They thought they were going to lose their lives. And Jesus was sleeping. Right? Jesus has the ability to calm our minds in the storms of life. But we have to turn to Him. We have to look to Him. 
It's all because God cares for us. Be sober, calm, and collected in spirit. And he says to be vigilant, to be watchful. Well, what are we to be watchful about? We're to be watchful for our adversary. Because our adversary, Satan, is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he can devour. Right? So we have to be vigilant and on the watch. And what we're saying is this, and I believe what, what is being pointed out is like what the Apostle Paul pointed out, and that is you and I are in a spiritual battle, and the battle takes place in our mind. And so whoever our heart belongs to, that's who our life belongs to. We are either going to be in bondage to sin and a servant of sin, or we are going to be the followers of Jesus Christ, and Christ is going to be our master, and what greater master could you have than one that loves and cares and is there to direct you in the path that you need to take. So resist Satan, and in doing so, the result will be that you have eternal glory. Notice what he says. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, following Christ does not mean that you're not going to suffer. In fact, Jesus said you're going to suffer. But in the weight of things, He says it's a little while. And He says that the things that we suffer are going to pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us. So that's why we go through the toil that we go through. Because of God and what He is going to give us in the end. Eternal glory. So, humble yourselves. Cast your anxieties on Him because God cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, and recognize that the result is eternal glory. Secondly, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in verses 16 through 18, He points out that we should be children of light. You know, we talked in class this morning what... Great love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We, we are unique and special. And when I say that, I'm not saying that we are sinless by any means. We all recognize that we rely upon the mercy and grace of God. And we live a life, hopefully, that shows that Jesus is living in our lives. And we know that we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ... And we have been purchased to glorify God, to live for God. And so that means that we offer our lives as a spiritual sacrifice to God, singing the praises and glory and honor that our God deserves and is due to Him. Turn with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses um, 16 through 18. In fact, I want to start in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as wise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, the second key in our lives is that we are to walk as children of light. You know, Jesus pointed out, well, actually, in, in Psalms it talks about how the Word is a lamp unto my feet. So the Word of God is able to illuminate to shine a light so that we are able to see clearly as to where we are headed and the path that leads to the ultimate goal of being forever in the presence of God. So he says, don't walk in deception. Don't be deceived, but walk in light. You know, James talks about how an individual looked in the mirror, the hearer of the word looked in the mirror, and when he walked away from the mirror, he forgot what manner of man he was. Right? But the doer of the word looks in the word, stays in the word, sees who he is, and walks properly. So, we have to walk in the light rather than walking in deception. And that means that we are not to become partners with those that are practicing evil. So we are not to participate in that which is evil, but rather we are to participate in the practice of things that are righteous. And he says, light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then he points out, you need to be discerning. So as we go through the things in life that are difficult, one of the things that it's going to take is a discerning heart. What is the right path? What is the right way? We've talked about it before. Many times our emotions tell us to do one thing, but we need to be grounded in God's Word that we are following truth and practicing what is right. Look at Hebrews, the fifth chapter and verse 14. He said, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So how are you going to be able to discern? You're going to be able to discern by training your minds in the things of God. That's why it's so vital to study God's Word. 
and to understand God's will. So being careful to walk in wisdom and to be filled with the Spirit. You know, Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I encourage you to look at that passage and to concentrate on the things that the Spirit is directing our lives in. And you'll see that it is in complete opposition to the works of the flesh, to the way of the pattern of the world. John said, don't love the world and the things that are in the world, the pride of life, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Because all these things are going to vanish away. But our faith is what will remain. So, shouldn't that tell you and I that as we face the difficulties, the importance of centering and staying focused on the faith that God has given us? Third, so we are to humble ourselves. We are to walk as children of light. And then he points out that we are to be self-controlled. You know, when we look out in society, it seems like it is a life of many that is just, they do whatever they want. There is no control. And what we are told is, who are you to judge us? Well, this is what judges us. In fact, it says that in the last day, the words of Christ are going to judge our lives. So that's what we should hold up as what is going to judge our lives. In Titus, the second chapter, Titus 2, and verses 6 through 14, the writer there points out, if I can get my eyes to focus... Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our greatest, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possessions who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. So Paul is talking to Titus and telling him how he should conduct himself and his life as one that is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he points out, one of the things that you need to teach the younger men is that they be self-controlled, right? All of us have passions and desires. And here's who gave us passions and desires. God. God did. 
And he gave us those passions and desires so that we might glorify him. And you know what? He has given us a lawful way to fulfill our passions and desires. So, you know, we might say to the young men, they they have sexual desires, don't they? Well, God gave us a way to fulfill that. Let each man have his own wife, right? But when you look out in society, you would think the total, total opposite, wouldn't you? By the way, a lot of individuals live their lives. So the commendation is that we need to live self-controlled lives. What about our own lives, our own daily lives, as we do face these challenges and when life does knock us down? How do we deal with it? Do we live uncontrolled lives? Do we allow the emotion to overtake our lives and to allow discouragement to lead us to become unproductive in the things of God? Or do we live self-controlled lives focused upon the things of God? So be a model of good works and sound speech and renounce ungodliness and renounce worldly passions and, and wait for Jesus. We live in a society, you know, we had someone, we had, we had uh, Spectrum come out the other day because, doggone, the computer seems slower than it normally is because you're used to having, you click a button and boom, it's there right now. And we live in a society that sometimes the way we live, there's no patience. We're upset when we get in the line that says, 11 items or less, and we're looking, oh, that lady's got 13 items in her cart. (laughs) Lady, you need to move over to the other line over here because this is an 11 or less item line, right? And we're in a hurry, and a lot of times people are getting in our way. You know, we're not living very self-controlled lives. And one of the things he points out is that we control our, our passions and desires, we are self-controlled because we have learned that through Jesus Christ. Look at the life of Christ. You talk about someone that was self-controlled. He was self-controlled. So, and I, when I say self-controlled, I guess really what we see is that God and His Word tempers our life. That's what's directing us. He talks about the anger of man never works the wisdom of God. You know, Dion did point out this morning in class, be angry and sin not. Well, the fact of the matter is there are times that we are angry. You know, we should be angry at injustices, at sin, at things that stand in opposition to God. But how do we deal with that? Do we do it in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord? Or do we have the character of God? You know, God allows His Son to shine on those that are good and those that are evil. Right? What about us? 
Are we a blessing on the lives of other people? Well, you know, part of that means that we have to live self-controlled lives. So there's a responsibility that you and I have in our actions and our reactions with other people. Just think about your own family life. Sometimes we let our guard down, don't we? We need to always be tempering our hearts and minds with the things of God. Lastly, we are to be patient. You know, we talked about this in class the other day. Patience doesn't mean just allowing time to pass by. It means that we are making a concerted effort to do the right thing, that our faith is in God. And he says, let patience have its perfect work. And so it's going to take an individual, like Paul, when he said, I, in whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. Whether I'm abounding, and there were times that Paul was abounding. He had servants. And then there were times that he was suffering greatly. But he learned how to be content in both situations. You know, we do too. We are to be people that are content. In James, the fifth chapter, in verses 7 through 11, I think it gives us a great, great view of patience. Starting in verse uh, 7 of chapter 5, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remains steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So one of the things that it's going to take as we do go through life and as we have to deal with life is it takes patience. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to walk as children of light. We need to be self-controlled and we need to be like a farmer. Because in one sense, we're all farmers. The Word of God has been planted in our minds. That Word has been watered and fertilized and grows. And you know, you have to get in there and let God do some pruning in your mind so that you are productive, so that you produce the maximum amount of fruit. You know, when you think of fruit, I love nectarines. And sometimes, I got to say, when you go to most of the regular stores anymore, it's hard to find a good nectarine. 
Trader Joe's. Okay, Angela, go get some nectarines at Trader Joe's today. So, but when you get a good nectarine, man, that's good. Well, it's the same way with us. What type of fruit are you producing? Because fruit is something that's to be enjoyed. And so, like a farmer, be patient. One of the things that we notice about Christianity is it is a lifelong commitment. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So it's not something that, you know, it's not a sprint. I hate to run. I like to cycle. But it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay? And so we are waiting for the coming of the Lord. And one of the things that we are to do is to establish our hearts And when he says, establish your hearts, it means to fix your minds. I think one of the greatest keys that you and I can have in dealing with adversity, dealing with the loss of loved ones, dealing with physical ailments, dealing with mental anguish, dealing with abuse, anything, is to establish your hearts, to fix your mind, and to set your mind on God, and to do it in a steadfast manner. If nothing else, if you don't get anything else out of the lesson this morning, implant that in your mind, that you are going to fix your mind on the Lord, and be patient for the coming of the Lord. You know what else he says? Don't grumble. That's hard to do sometimes, is not to grumble. But he said, don't grumble. We talked about it this morning. Be thankful. We are to be thankful people. Sometimes as we go through life, we can definitely be sidetracked, can't we? We can let all that happens in life take away from us. Tyler is not a morning person. And it must be difficult to wake up to two smiling morning people every morning. Is it, Tyler? It's difficult. But Tyler's encouraged when someone says good morning to be able to utter the words, good morning. Right? And one of the things is count your blessings. Because when we count our blessings, you know, it affects our lives. And here's the thing. It affects other people's lives. So, again, I want to commend Mary and Don, Frank and Angela, Tyler and Dustin. You know, 
suffering the loss of a loved one, there's a time of grieving, and Dion as well. A time to grieve. Life's not rosy all the time. But you know what? God did tell us that you can rejoice and you can have joy. And in fact, he says to be joyful at all times. Dion said it doesn't mean that we're a bunch of, what do you say, Dion? Huh? Smiling idiots. But, but we recognize the blessings that we do have. And so we take that and it affects our disposition. So we can be joyful even in the times of suffering because of what we know, what we have in the Lord. So I'll leave you with that, brethren. I hope that the lesson has been beneficial to you. I know many of you are going through some struggles and difficulties, and I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep up the faith. Fight the good fight. Paul said that I have kept the faith. I've stayed the course. I've fought the good fight. And because of that, there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me, and not for me only, but for all those that love the appearing of the Lord. Man, I don't know about you, but I can't wait. I'm, I'm ready. We all need to be ready. So, if we can help you in any way, if, uh, if you're subject to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand and sing the song of invitation this morning.